All of these companies at the end of the year are going to be faced with a decision of whether they continue using HubSpot or do they completely change their CRM and marketing automation platform. Very quickly, you start learning all these areas that you can use CRM for. 90%, if not 99% of the native integrations that CRM purport to have are really marketing ploys. Going from a year's worth of using one platform and changing it completely just because the pricing is going to go up so much. Just because the pricing is going to go up so much. So much. So much. 90% conversational marketing automation discussion. Hello, hello, this is Alex Glenn, and welcome to the Marketing Automation Discussion. This is your first listen. I am your host, here to ensure you have the most insightful and actionable content around the topic of marketing and sales automation. Today is a very special type of episode called a mastermind discussion, where I invite more than one participant to have an open discussion to clear up a major pain point we see in the world of marketing and sales automation. The focus of today's mastermind is CRM. My guests are Scott Gallatly from Scale My Empire in Melbourne, Australia, Alex Bass, founder of Cyberbytes in New York, and my colleague, founder of Yellow O and our head of stack services here at Automated, originally from London, but streaming to us now from Phuket, Thailand, Mr. Mark Colgan. I've invited these three experts to help me shed light on a topic of choosing and building out your scalable CRM system, your customer relationship management system. This is the aspect of any sales stack that can either be the most expensive mistake you have to replace or the most valuable tool helping your sales and marketing team understand where every prospect is and triggering the necessary automations to better your customer experience. This is a subject I take very seriously. So one guest will not cover all of the bases. I needed the full gamut. I needed to bring out all the guns. So I invited Scott, Alex, and Mark to be with me on this episode. We go in very deep. This discussion was over 120 minutes before edits. You will hear about what to look out for when considering free versions of a CRM. You'll hear about CRM strategy, when and how to consider CRM in your stack. You'll hear about the necessary considerations around CRM triggered automations, how to set up your CRM for success, pricing for the two main CRMs, and finally, the business models of each of these CRMs so you know which will be best for your business long-term. If you aren't able to take notes, don't worry. We have you covered. The full episode in text format is available on automated.af with links, etc. Mark, Alex, and Scott are all absolute experts in startup and SMB CRM builds. So please pay attention to what they have to say if you are considering a new CRM for your business. Without further delay, Let's get into this incredible discussion. Scott, why don't you start us off? Thanks, Alex, and uh, excited to be here. I think this is going to be a cracking cast. But uh, no, Scott Gavitley here, co-founder of Scale My Empire uh, from a little island called Australia off the coast of the rest of the world. 
And uh, we're an agency focused on helping other agencies and small to medium businesses to become more profitable through their tech platforms. Uh, so we're all about helping become you know, more profitable with technologies like CRM, in particular Copper CRM and Pandadoc. Uh, we're also really proficient in uh, project management and resource planning tools like uh, Mavenlink and then all the automations between those sort of platforms. Awesome. Thank you, Scott. And uh, Alex B., why don't you introduce yourself and, and what you're up to? Yeah, so my name is Alex Bass. Uh, I founded the company Cyberbytes back in 2010. At that point, we were doing a lot of web development, online marketing. We quickly pivoted over to IT as a managed service provider. And then from there, we really saw a lot with small businesses and some of the inefficiencies going on because we were really close to the various processes or, or ones that didn't exist or was never documented. So I kind of fell in love with documentation at that point. And the final kind of pivot that we made is realizing, hey, we need to document these processes. At a core, we need to have some type of CRM. Got very close with Copper. Uh, Scott and I actually met through a Copper Partners Group, so we're both Copper Partners. And I just kind of fell in love with that and G Suite. And we kind of work with a few other tools as well, like Pandadoc, Help Scout, Asana, and Airtable. So we're very much about going to a company, documenting their processes, helping them understand where they can automate and where they're being inefficient. And it's just about streamlining everything and making all the tools that they love work together better. Thank you very much, Alex. And last but not least, Mark, are you there? Hey, yes, I am. And uh, thanks, uh, thanks for inviting me here today. Really looking forward to the conversation. I work with B2B SaaS companies and help them with their sales and marketing processes. I'm also a founding member of a uh, Techstars and SureTech startup which are completed um, late last year. I currently help B2B SaaS companies scale their revenue um, through building out repeatable, scalable, and profitable growth strategies. And this is really achieved through a combination of um, my 10 plus years of sales and marketing knowledge, as well as deep experience in using marketing automation and CRM technologies day in, day out. So the likes of HubSpot, Salesforce, Drift, Intercom, Autopilot, if it's out there, I've probably tried it at least one. All right. It's very, very interesting, the group we have. So we're in four different time zones. We have three, possibly four different accents, depending on who you ask, <laughs> three different continents. So this is about as eclectic and unbiased as you could get, I believe, with this particular discussion. Our goals here on this podcast are to address a few issues. Number one, too many startups are pulled into CRM builds without understanding the end goal how that CRM will be used. Uh, number two, how to integrate is becoming easier yet more convoluted than ever as we transition from previous generation of coded and uh, hooked integrations into a world of connectors. Number three, how to know if your CRM is set up for success or if you just assume what you are dealing with is quote unquote typical. Number four, in particular, uh, SME versus SMB CRMs, the two we'll go into today are HubSpot versus Copper.com. And different types of CRMs suit different types of businesses. So let's start with high level, the state of the union with regards to the CRM industry. What's going on right now? There are new developments with regards to Copper.com, formerly ProsperWorks, which is why we're choosing to focus this discussion around Copper and HubSpot. Those are the two CRMs that obviously have a very large market share, Copper developing its market share, just raising another round, bringing the total round of investments to around $87 million. The world of all-in-one CRMs is getting more and more interesting by the day. The user.coms, the active campaigns, the agile CRMs of the world 
HubSpot is trying to become more democratic, bringing on Scott Brinker and talking a lot about in PR and in the news and in their content. And let's go ahead and talk about that real quick. So Alex B, I'd like your thoughts, if you can, around what's going on in the world of CRM. Yeah. So I think a, a lot of interesting things are going on where you have the Salesforce, which is the obviously the major player in the space, and they're 60 billion plus uh, industry, and they're very focused toward the enterprise space. And then you have some of the smaller competitors that have popped up. I, I say recently, um, but really within the past five, six years, it's kind of recent since Salesforce and, and Microsoft Dynamics and things like that have existed for quite a while now, 10 plus years. So you kind of have all these small contenders out there. So then you have a lot of people asking questions about, hey, you know, should I be using Copper or Pipedriver? You know, I, I envision our company is going to be large in the future. So should we actually go for Salesforce right now? Um, and then you have the free ones available. So I think a lot of it is very interesting. And what we come down to is is really understanding what the business processes that they have in place are. Is their business more of a small business and are their needs more based on marketing or sales? Um, what are these certain areas that are they have to have in their system? So, But a lot of the smaller guys, so Agile um, and and Copper and Pipedrive, a lot of them, they're, they're very similar. So it's tough to be like, well, do you need this feature, this feature, this feature? Because a lot of them, they kind of do the same thing. They just have their other little strengths. So I'm interested in talking a little bit more about it because if, if G Suite, for example, is a large focus of yours right now, then I think Copper is definitely leading in that space. And there's a few areas where it integrates a little bit better, but there are also some areas where it doesn't do things as well. So I'm, I'm looking forward to kind of discussing that a, a bit more with you guys. Yeah, we'll go into that a little bit more towards the end. Uh, Scott, what's your view on the State of the Union with regards to CRM? Well, uh, Alex, I think we're actually moving into sort of phase three of CRM, in my view. If you think of the first phase in the early days, dominated by a few number of key players, like your Salesforce, your Microsoft Dynamics, and then the market really started to fragment with the rise of uh, SaaS platforms and really affordable tools, right? And we had this huge deluge of products, which is half the reason why it's so hard uh, from the consumer to actually make a decision around what CRM they need. Uh, but I'm seeing that we're moving into phase three and there's, uh, you, you can already see it with the rebranding of a lot of tools. Copper's just rebranded. The old juggernaut Infusionsoft has just rebranded uh, into what? kept or slept, I'm not sure what, um, but you can see that you know, there's also a uh, con uh, convergence, if you like, in a general trend towards branding to a who and hyper-specialising your product or service to really just deliver um, the wants and needs of that who. And I see, I guess, two key trends one being that hyper-specialization of CRMs that are really trying to target a particular segment and just doing that extremely well. There might be some that stay general, but I think that that is an awesome game plan and completely solves the what CRM do I choose issue, which is a problem with this flooded market. And the other trend I see is the rise of AI and being incorporated into these platforms uh, and how they get in, how AI gets incorporated uh, and what they do and sort of who gets to market first is going to determine who wins phase three, like Salesforce kind of won phase one. Yeah, I have a, I have a question 
for you on that. So in phase three, along with it, because one of my buddies, he he worked at Infusionsoft for a while, and he's a very big proponent of Infusionsoft. What he sees with the Infusionsoft rebrand is they took a lot of those really, really, really powerful features that were confusing that you needed an expert to implement, and they removed them, and they didn't even add solutions for them. So he's frustrated as a power user, one that implements it. Do you think that phase three, two is kind of going to simplicity? So they're taking a step back and they're trying to make it so it's easier for the random person to just find them online, sign up for a free trial and start using them. Is that also kind of part of phase three or do you think that's just an oversight? No, no, I, I, you're absolutely right. And if you think of design thinking and a genuine focus in user experience moving forward, uh, plus convergence with that AI layer, which is going to be able to make the complex simple and abstract, a lot of that super, you know, challenging complex stuff that maybe you needed an expert for in the past. I just see the convergence of those those pathways to products which are super simple, free people up from needing to be in the detail to just doing what they do best, selling. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, really focusing on that that user experience that just makes the product a no-brainer. So we're moving into the new generation of CRMs. Lots going on. I like that you mentioned the rebrand of Infusionsoft. I'm really curious to see what happens with Keep, I believe it's uh, supposed to be. But yeah, I mean, uh, we, we, we deal with a lot of SaaS companies in general here at Automated, and we talk to a lot of founders, and the AI side of things is very interesting. A lot of automated or, or kind of self-directed tasking on the AI side internally for CRMs. Those were some great points. So thank you very much, Scott. I want to hear what Mark believes is going on with regards to the status of CRM right now. Sure. I personally believe that um, there's going to be a move away from an all-in-one platform in the sense that the, especially from the conversation. I have with founders of SaaS businesses, they're not really looking for an all-in-one solution, but they want to have a, uh, a, a sophisticated tech stack that integrates really well together. So as you've seen uh, with, with HubSpot in the last year, they've added around over 90 new integration partners and opened up their API to 90 new API par- uh, development partners as well. Um, so I think what we're going to see is rather than the focus on all-in-one, it's going to be more of a focus on doing one or two things extremely, extremely well. And back to one of Alex's points before, uh, it was talking about Pipedrive. Very interesting to see that they've actually started to add in automation into their platform. So it looks like CRMs are stepping into more of the marketing side of things as well. Very important points. And, and this is where there are some interesting things happening. I believe, yes, you're right. Consumer up. Consumers do want the best possible solution for each aspect of the business. CRM, marketing, automation, chat, etc. What's very interesting is in the last couple of weeks, and we don't have to go off on this tangent, but Zendesk recently launched Cell, Drift added email marketing, intercom added email marketing and added bots. But um, I digress on that. I want to hear from uh, from Scott real quickly. I think you had one more point to add. It goes back to what I said about hyper-specialization. I think you can't master all things. And if you try, you don't do anything particularly well. Uh, and I can think of a few platforms that have tried to, perhaps they started in the marketing automation space and then bolted on a CRM at the back end and it just doesn't compete with the product that's purely focused at CRM, like say Copper. Um, and I see these companies that still seem to be trying to go into an all things to all people, yes. maybe because they've sort of reached peak growth, got an investment and they have to go somewhere. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that it's the capital raising that actually drives them to then try to 
bring in more features and bloat their platform. Um, and that's, in my view, a bit of a concern. And if I'm looking at who to partner with and what I'm looking for out of a CRM in the future, I'm personally sort of looking for, you know, keep it simple, do exactly what you do. And I get a little wary if they're trying to be all things to all people, particularly with all the automations and integrations, which we'll talk about a bit later that are available. I think you hit the nail on the head there. And something really interesting that happened to me recently was someone reached out and they were saying, hey, you know, we're looking at copper. I'm not quite sold on it yet. We're actually using it. We just signed up for a trial. We've been using it for a couple of months now. And we are also using Base CRM. And I said, oh, yeah, you know, Base was just acquired by Zendesk. How does that, you know, what, what are your feelings on that? And he said, that's the issue. He's like, I don't really like the direction that Zendesk is. So I was happy with Base, but now I, I don't want to be now part of, you know, he's now pulled into this all-in-one solution. And he never wanted to be there. But because of this acquisition, that's where they are. And exactly what mm -hmm. you're saying, I think these companies are seeing the success with Salesforce and how large market cap wise there are. And all the investors are saying, well, there's money in the CRM space. So it's like, well, how does Zendesk get bigger? Well, let's add a CRM component because maybe we could turn that into a $60 billion value. Don't think it's the right thing. And I think their customers also see it. And I feel like Zendesk actually took base and they tore a lot of it apart, um, trying to make it fit within their solution stack. And I, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing, but it, exactly what you're saying, I really think it is the investors. They're messing with the the ecosystem quite a bit. That's an awesome point. Thank you for adding that. And it's a perfect segue into the next section. We want to talk about what you mentioned there around really considering what your use case is and what your customer journey looks like and really what the pipeline and the entire sales system looks like for you and your business before going down the route of deciding on what tools to put in place for what needs. So I want to talk about that real quick. I want to talk about the strategy first side of things. Mark, who just dropped off, actually, hopefully he'll jump back on soon. He and I had a great discussion on a previous episode where we talked about the mishaps that we've seen. And we just we were going through our mental Rolodex of all the clients that we've helped. And a lot seemed to happen over and over where you have a bootstrap startup or you have a startup team that uh, just needs to manage pipeline. They just need, you know, some sales management. So they go CRM shop. And then maybe fast forward a couple months where they see uh, conversions on the website dipping. So they go looking for a chat tool to hopefully increase conversions on the site. And then they're on MailChimp, but they start to have a need for drip campaigns that are triggered by whatever in the CRM or whatever on the site. So they go marketing automation shopping. And it creates this sort of a Frankenstein-esque stack where each tool was built or added ad hoc out of an immediate need instead of looking holistically at the entire system. So what I want to talk about, and I really want everyone's opinion on this, how do you approach CRM and when do you go shopping for CRM and how do you look at where that integrates holistically in the stack and in the operations and what is the thought process? You know, what are the steps that you would take when you're dealing with a startup that maybe has a little bit of traction, has a piece together stack? And now they're really looking for that stack that's going to take them to the next level. So let's start with you, Scott. Yeah, thanks, Alex. I think um, there's two sides to this, one being, you know, when uh, and the other being what. And if I start with the when, if you think of business as a journey that goes through iterations and sort of goes through phases uh, and the tech platforms that you need to focus on 
kind of align with that journey. So in the early stages, it's about sales. It's about getting your message out to market, testing what it is that you're doing, see whether it's resonating and ultimately making money, right? Generating revenue so that you can invest and build and, and grow. Um, and once you've sort of locked that piece down, that's when you'll typically focus on operations and start refining and making that more efficient, you know, turn that revenue into profit. So you know, when's the right time to be looking at CRM? In my view, it's the moment you, you start really. Um, you wanna be collecting information about the people that are coming in, testing of those people that come in, who is the message resonating with most and you know, who you're selling what to uh, at that stage. And then starting to refine and build your sales process into a high converting uh, machine that's going to uh, pump revenue out when you need it down the track. So you've got to start from the beginning. I think CRM is probably the first major buying decision outside of maybe accounting and you know, whether you're Google or Microsoft. Uh, it's the first major buying decision that any startup in any industry should be making. Uh, does that make sense, first of all? Yeah. And Alex, I think you have something to add. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I just ag agree with him in that instance. I think a lot of people, especially starting a business, they always get stuck looking at the price of the CRM while that's $50 per user per month or, you know, $70, $80 per user per month and not realizing just how important it is to start having these relationships tracked from the moment you begin. If you're serious at all about your business, even starting up a company, I think really the first thing you should be putting in place is a CRM. Um, and yes, you should do a little bit of research around, does the CRM integrate, have an open API, integrate with the things that I need it to? So if you're going to be using like what you had mentioned, maybe they're using an accounting software like QuickBooks Online, well, am I able to do what I need to do to integrate the CRM with QuickBooks Online? That's definitely an important thing to look into, but I, I agree, you really should dive into and get a CRM in place as soon as possible, just at the very least to get your mind working in a way to understand what CRM is understanding people, companies, opportunities, leads, and how they relate with one mm -hmm. another. There's so many small business owners that I've talked to that use Excel for CRM, and they just don't understand the dynamic or the relationship of everything. So really just start using it and and learn, and that money is very well spent. Um, it's, it's even just on a learning curve. If you end up spending $500 on a CRM and you're like, I don't like this, at least you learn CRM for 500 bucks. Like people spend a lot more money on school and learn nothing. Really good point. Yeah, great points. I think a very, very big part of this, and Mark will touch on on this, is what your CRM is going to be used for. There is a use case for using a CRM for your candidate backlog. Uh, there's a use case for using your CRM for your partnerships funnel. So let's talk about that real quick and just making sure you understand what your CRM can and will be used for. So Mark, do you have anything to mention around that? Yeah, it's just just to just to really mirror on both um, Alex and Scott's points about um, understanding how you're going to use it and why you're going to use it. And for example, making this one of your first decisions, if you are going to go down the channel partner route or form partnerships with other businesses within the same market, these relationships take a fair bit of time to, to develop and then nurture. Um, so you really want to be using a dynamic CRM uh, rather than an Excel spreadsheet. So I couldn't agree more with the point that the CRM should be one of the first decisions that you make. And Scott, you have one more point to add? Oh, just going back to what uh, Alex Bass just mentioned about the cost as well. I mean, you think even 10, 15 years ago, to implement a single piece of software like a Salesforce or something 
required local infrastructure, you, you drop $100,000 on it without a problem. Yeah. Uh, and now you can get away for 50 bucks a month per head. I mean, if your whole tech stack costs you $1,000, um, you know, across CRM and project management, and everything else, um, it is a great time to be a business, mm-hmm. realistically, because that is just something that you couldn't build or couldn't get at all only a few years ago. So the cost is really pretty minimal. And if you're not, uh, if you don't have a business that's covering that 50 bucks per head, <laughs> you know, yeah. you, you've got bigger problems to worry about. Um, and I think to Mark's point uh, on, you know, how they actually intend to use the CRM, um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, as a business, if you are a relationship uh, sales business, if your job is to go out there, build relationships, sell with a proposal, perhaps do a lot of face-to-face, so like an agency or a service provider, you want a CRM that's targeted and suited to uh, relationship-based sales. So strong pipeline, lots of uh, reporting around uh, how you're interacting with your clients and lots of neat tricks um, for you know, sales team using the product. If your uh, whole marketing strategy and sales strategy is to sell things online, perhaps at scale, then you're looking at a different class of CRM. You're not actually looking to compete or shouldn't be assessing relationship-based CRM. You should be looking at you know, your Infusionsofts, your active campaigns and you know, your HubSpots mm-hmm. and so forth because they have that awesome automation, scalable selling with reporting, especially reporting, around those sorts of uh, features and functions that are going to drive that for you. It's less about the human relationship. And I, you could draw a line in the sand as to what a CRM is best suited to mm-hmm. and cut 50% of the market out of the buying decision just on that. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think to what Alex had pointed right before all this, uh, moving some of it forward with what can a CRM and should a CRM be used for, I think it plays off all of this that it's like, as long as you have your processes documented, you'll see very quickly. I think just getting involved in it and, and documenting your sales process, that's a clear, very easy thing to get working and understand the flow of CRM. And then once you get comfortable with it, all of my clients have just very quickly been like, wait a minute, I'm actually not using any project management software. Why can't I just create another pipeline, call it projects, and then we can very simply use CRM for our project management. And then after that, it comes down to hiring. You know, I deal with hiring and I'm just throwing this in random places. I don't even know if I'm, I'm keeping up to date with it. Why don't I just create a pipeline for hiring? And then very quickly, you start learning all these areas that you can use CRM for. And from what I've seen, it's really just about processes. It's just using these various pipelines as a different process. It doesn't have to be sales. It doesn't have to be marketing. It doesn't have to be very focused in the traditional idea of a CRM. It's just any process that you could break down to stages that you would want to start somewhere and end somewhere else. You can literally create a pipeline, create an opportunity and create that process. I love that point. And I hate to make it even more convoluted than ever, but um, Airtable, very interesting things in the world of customizable CRM. 
You know, if you do want to use your CRM for absolutely anything, and I know Alex, you have a lot of experience with Airtable and love it. And there are some interesting things that I think are going to be developed and maybe back to the point about where CRM's going, making your CRM more of a project management, Kanban style project management, where pipeline becomes anything that's maybe just revenue generating, but any of the revenue generating processes in your business become a pipeline in your CRM or the ability to create those multiple types of pipelines in their CRM. So that's a perfect caveat to the next section that we want to touch on. So I haven't heard from Mark in a little while. So I want to talk to Mark first. Mark, let's talk specifically to the SaaS leaders that are listening. What could a SaaS company really look for in a CRM? Yeah, and I think this mirrors all the points we've made so far. Uh, really, when it comes to SaaS, you, you want to have a CRM that integrates well with other platforms, especially if you're looking at a new CRM solution. Um, this isn't the beginning of the very beginning of the business. This is you've reached a point where you've identified that you need to uh, develop a new CRM or use a new CRM system, and you've already got existing technology set up. So you might have Recurly managing your subscriptions. And I'm just using that as one example. Um, so you, you'll need to find a CRM that integrates well with your wider tech stack. Uh, and especially when you look at the tech stack and then your, the processes that you have. So, for example, some SaaS businesses have a, a mixture of a self-serve model and then also inside sales just because of the price point there. And what you can come up against there is sometimes duplication of opportunities because your, um, your, the leads generated and the conversations that, you're, that your sales team are having with people um, can often at the same time be duplicated with that same person having a great conversation with a salesperson and then just going and signing up if you've got a self-serve model. So you really need to make sure that these real nuances of, of scenarios that can happen are facilitated by the CRM and its integrations. Um, and that's just one from a recent experience with, with a SaaS business. That's a very important point. So depending on your industry, there's SaaS companies in real estate, SaaS companies in healthcare, SaaS companies in events, et cetera. That's a very important point where depending on your industry, there may be a tool that you have to use because it's the winner in your industry and you're not going to go away from that tool. So it may be wise to start there and look at a CRM that integrates well with that hub tool that you're going to have to use based on your vertical. Great point there, Mark. And uh, Alex, you work a lot with the outside sales operations, those businesses that rely heavily on a sales force. So uh, why don't you talk real quickly about those? So I think a lot of this comes back to where, like how well you can integrate with the CRM. So how many triggers you can have happen and then what required fields you can make. So say, for example, you have a sales process within, you know, and you have an opportunity moving through the pipeline. And at one stage, you may have a follow-up pipeline. So you should be able to have certain required fields be met upon moving an opportunity to that stage. And then that should be the trigger that pushes it to an outside tool that can maybe do a drip campaign. So something that we use very often would be reply. So that can actually push the data over, automatically follow up with the the you know sales opportunity that you have there and supplement it. So you're still going to be making phone calls and things like that. But what makes a, a CRM great is one that can very easily push data outside of the system and then say that someone replies uh, within that email. Maybe you don't want it to any longer be kind of that automated bot because they replied, so you want to stop that. So 
could reply or this other software that you end up using, could that market is replied and go back to copper and say, hey, you know, move it to a different stage now. They're considered, you know, negotiating or active or we're no longer in the follow-up phase because they're they're clearly um, they're responding back. There's some type of engagement there. So what makes a CRM great is one that can really have triggers and actions function at various points throughout the process. So either a required, like you cannot move it here until you fill out this required field. And then from there, can you push out to a different system, have something happen in the other system, push back to the CRM and move it along the process automatically. Yeah, great points all around. And, and Scott, you work a lot with agencies. You bring a different perspective to this whole discussion. So why don't you mention for agencies or the groups that you work in particular with, what is on the list of what? makes a great CRM for you? Well, because we work predominantly with services-based businesses that have teams, they're very much relationship sales type organizations. A lot of face-to-face, they often use proposals, they meet with their clients, uh, and the sales process itself um, can be quite lengthy compared to perhaps an online sale. And so the sort of CRM that an agency or professional services need to look for is something that's going to be super conducive to usability. So it's got to have an awesome user experience. And a large part of that is how easy it is to get data in. And this is where, you know, there's such a pushback from products like Salesforce, where the user experience perhaps isn't great. It often requests an enormous amount of data uh, and salespeople uh, often, you know, use a different side of the brain <laughs> to the data side and uh, consequently don't update the system, don't use it properly, uh, and it becomes more or less a paperweight. Uh, and that's where products like Copper, which have a really simple, beautiful user experience, um, actually do a lot of the data entry for you by scraping emails and connecting to LinkedIn and things like that kind of take the pain out of a salesperson using that kind of product. Um, so I think the first thing you want to look for as an agency is a fantastic user experience and assistance with data entry. The second uh, being that your relationship focused uh, business, you want features that um, really support that. Uh, and if I go back to Copper, you know, it's got a really simple little uh, report that sits the, at the top of every contact or company telling you, how long it's been since you've spoken to somebody, how many times you've spoken to them uh, and what the date was you last spoke, you know, email, phone call, whatever. And you can instantly take a look at your list knowing that relationships are the most important things to sales and that most of your business is coming from return customers and just say, well, who haven't I spoken to for three months? Boom, get on the phone, start making calls. For most agencies, 80% of their business is return customers. They should be focusing on driving what's on their list. And a good CRM for them is a CRM that fosters that. And then the third thing, in my view, is reporting, particularly on sales conversion. So you're looking for a CRM that gives you a report on how well your sources are converting, how well your people are converting, how long it's taking to convert, because sales conversion is a measure of sales health, right? So if you have a high conversion rate, your sales process is good, your sales people are well-trained, your marketing message is clear, um, and they're being tied together and getting you plenty of revenue. 
and then it just means up you know up the marketing and your conversion rate will produce the dollars so you want a crm that's got strong reporting in that area and does that make sense, Alex? Complete sense. Thank you so much. That was a great answer. And Mark, you've got your hand up. So let's let's go back to Mark real quick for some quick thoughts on that. Yeah, just to add to Alex B's point about um, having uh, good integrations with the external uh, software, a bit like um, Reply.io. Um, I've used that quite a lot with with clients as well. And, and they, Reply.io, spent a phenomenal amount of time building a really good integration with Salesforce as well as with, with Copper. And I think when you're a founder and you're trying to make these decisions, you'll have a look to see what type of what integrations a software has with a CRM or, or larger all-in-one tool. Um, but you really have to dive deeper into that integration because I know some software say that they do have an integration, but it's very much a one-way. It's not a bi-directional sync, and you can't um, dynamically move people out of campaigns if they uh, respond, as was Alex's example. So I think that the point there is just to is just to double check how good that integration is. Going back to HubSpot's integration, if you're using HubSpot, their marketing platform rather than their CRM, but you're using that within Salesforce, they have a very very good integration with with Salesforce. And I think it was one of the first ones that they built out and made sure they built it out really in in, in a lot of detail. Um, so yeah, that's the point there. Double check those integrations. Great answer, Mark. And I'm going to actually move a section up in our review here. We're supposed to talk about pricing next, but let's talk about integrations. And before we do that, I just have to mention, I work a lot with Marketplace in the aspect of being able to create multiple contact types and multiple pipelines in your one dashboard, and then being able to delegate in your system, which users are able to view which contact types and which pipelines. That is an important feature to look at if you are a marketplace, a B2B marketplace that has sales operations on both sides. Uh, Not all marketplaces have that. Some are consumer facing on one side and B2B on the other side, but there are a lot more B2B two-sided marketplaces coming up and they need a CRM that works with both sides. So just look out for that if you are a marketplace. Great points, everyone. Thank you so much. So that's a laundry list of items to look for if you are considering a CRM and you all mentioned integrations. This is a huge component and it often makes or breaks the sale for a CRM, which is why so many startups and businesses in general go with a HubSpot or a Salesforce because they do have more two-way integrations with tools that you use every day. And it just makes things a lot easier when that two-way integration, that bi-directional sync is in place. Thankfully, uh, the world of integrations is becoming a lot easier and a lot more democratic than ever with the companies like Zapier becoming enormous and offering integrations with almost every SaaS platform on the marketplace. And then there's new white label integrations, which Copper specifically has chosen to partner with a company called Trade.io out of San Francisco. And Trey powers a lot of Copper's integrations, which benefits and hurts Copper in, in a number of ways. So let's start with Alex and let's talk about Zapier and also talk about uh, Copper specifically in the integration system that they built out with Trey. Yeah. So something kind of interesting that came up this morning, when I was doing a workshop, I was showing off copper and a lot of the integrations that we've built. So for example, you move it to a certain stage, it will then go into PandaDoc and create a proposal, and then it will go into QuickBooks Online and create an invoice and send it. And what was interesting that I didn't even realize, because I was showing a lot of things that we built through Zapier and these custom integrations, 
at the end of the presentation, a few people brought up some questions. They're like, so out of curiosity, just so we use QuickBooks, so I'm so happy that it integrates with that. You know, do you know if it integrates with Square and this and this too? And I was like, oh, sorry, like I don't want to get the expectations wrong. Like natively, Copper does not integrate with QuickBooks Online. The stuff that I showed you, that was custom built. We're using something called Zapier to do that. So what was interesting is the the people that were watching, they're like, we need that integration. And they were under the assumption that it was natively built in. So you just set up copper and boom, all of a sudden, all this stuff starts working externally. But that's where, I guess it, that was proof to me that this is like fine to do it the way that we're doing it. We're using something like Zapier to connect these tools. And I showed a few of the people there how simply you can have a new trigger happen within Square. You know, you add a new customer because they make a payment. And then you can have that create them within Copper. And it's a very simple, simple thing. Anyone could do it using something like Zapier. You just go in and connect two accounts. So I think realistically, the even the integrations, I think it's a little deceptive too. Some of these companies are saying, hey, we integrate with this, that, and the other thing. But you actually try them out. And the integration really isn't great. Uh, the truth of the matter is Reply has an integration with Copper, some type of two-way sync-ish um, from their end, but we don't use it whatsoever because a lot of our clients, we need very, very custom campaign adding and removing. And depending on if something's replied, something different happens and their integration is great as it is. And they understand they're looking at seeing how they can improve it. But realistically, we're using Zapier and these other tools to do better integrations than what they've even built for themselves. So think of it from the the software standpoint. Should they be going and building every single integration in all existence? Like if you look at Copper, should they be integrating with absolutely everything? I almost feel like it's kind of a waste of time for them to be spending that much time building all of that out. And it won't really be the, the needs of the customer. So I think that's where the tools like Zapier um, come into play and, and Trey, for example, too. So to speak on the point with Trey very quickly, uh, we've used them before. It seems like they're very much focused on the enterprise, like big, big movement. So if you're trying to build an integration that may have like a, a million triggers a month, that's something maybe that you'd think to use like Trey for. So something if you go through with Copper, they sync with Ring Central, but really they're using Trey on the background to be doing this sync. And it works well enough. Uh, but the truth of the matter is now you're sign on with an integration account that's really built for enterprise. And you're paying, you know, $48, $50 per month for this one integration where some of these other tools that exist like Zapier, you could do quite a bit for 50 bucks a month on their platform or $100, $200 a month. So I think that's where things are a little bit weird. Understanding your actual use cases, if you want to build five different integrations, so when it hits this stage, you want it to do this. And then what if it hits a different stage, you want it to do this. Something like Zapier or Integromat is going to treat you much better than something like Trey. Trey is not built for the average person trying to build a very easy, quick, you know, one-way sync or, or trigger, create some type of process from it. Yeah. And uh, I will speak to that real quickly before handing it over to Scott to talk about custom integrations. But um, yeah, Trey, like you said, uh, Trey is an, in an interesting realm with regards to the third-party integrators. They started off a little bit customer-focused where they would be almost like a Zapier, a flow builder version of Zapier. Blender's another one that have created this UI where you can sync different data types and different uh, sources and create this nice little integrated flow in their UI. 
ROI, right? With the, the, the tools that you use as a consumer. The other aspect of their platform, which was sort of in the dark for a while for the consumer side, is their white label integration provider side, where they actually are B2B company that sells their integrations to companies like Copper, where Copper can then, like you mentioned, decide whether to allocate bandwidth on their product and development side of things, on their product and development team, instead of developing these integrations, which are time consuming, they're tough to develop and also to keep up with. Instead of doing that, they can actually go to a third party like Trey and say, hey, you know, what would it cost us to partner with you and have you power all of these integrations on our integrations page? So Copper has chosen that route and they've decided to put their focus more on the product side of things and not on the integration side of things. So a lot of the integrations that you see on their integrations page are actually powered by Trey. So just a heads up there, not necessarily a bad thing because like Alex said, that money is going back into the product of Copper. But let's talk about custom integrations. I'll digress and uh, give it back to you, Scott, to talk about native versus custom. Yeah, look, thanks, Alex. I think um, I'm going to circle back to the trade decision uh, or, or thing at the end. But for the you know, consumers and, and the people that are trying to make CRM buying decisions that are listening to this cast now, I think it's important to know that 90%, if not 99% of the native integrations that CRM purport to have are really market employees. Um, you know, a, a CRM or any SaaS platform looks at who their target market is and what products they use most commonly, and they go and build integrations to those. So it looks great on the website because, as we've sort of said, you know, integrations inform the buying decision in a lot of cases. The reality is, though, that those integrations are often super simple. They've developed them as quick as possible with as limited features as they can to get something up on the website so that they can use it for marketing purposes. But because all businesses are you know, a little unique and a little different, very rarely does the native integration actually be a useful uh, tool for a business. Uh, and I say the only exception to that is something like Salesforce, where they've developed a marketplace that partners and other businesses can build custom integrations that are as sophisticated as you want. Um, and my personal belief is that um, if you're going to build a great product, you wouldn't build native integrations at all. You would actually do the Salesforce rate and have a marketplace where people can put their integrations up uh, to be used um, or really uh, push the idea that you can integrate with Zapier or Integromat or Tray or whatever so that people can build their own because they're just not deep enough. Oh, I think... That, that's great and super interesting point. And, I, and the thing that's weird is after talking to Copper and understanding some of the decisions that they made, they're worried about going through the solution of, I guess, pushing their end user to use something like Zapier. And what we're, we just talked about, essentially, you're kind of doing the same thing, but it's with Trey. It's just, it's more white labeled. So you feel like you're in control, but you're not necessarily giving a better user experience because it, it gives you the sense of control on their end. So it's it's kind of a weird thing i'm i'm it's i'm a little bit just thrown mm. off by the de decision there well i can see the logic behind it because all right let's take zapier were the uh the first ones to come to market with this well not the first but they did it the best uh they consumerized integrating products together the next logical view of that was well all of these SaaS platforms out there also want to integrate with a heap of platforms how about we service them so instead of having them 
have to have their own servers and their own infrastructure for managing all of their integrations, they can really quickly offer an integration on their website with another product. They come through to Trey or Workado or uh, MuleSoft or whomever. They build a simple integration that's highly scalable, can handle millions of integrations. It's completely white labeled and runs in the background. The, the customer never, ever even has to know and would yeah. never, yeah. ever know that Trey or MuleSoft or whatever is running in the background. So from the customer's perspective, they're just paying copper for a license. The fact that there is a third-party technologies being used, and let's face it, all SaaS platforms are using stacks of third-party tools to build and flesh out their product, right? The code's probably, you know, on GitHub or whatever, and there's, there's things all over the place. It's just natural. It's, it's how you develop these days. Um, so I don't think it's a problem that they're using Trey, and I think you'll see that more often. I think SaaS platforms will say, well, you know, CRM platforms will say, instead of building our own ones, we're going to go to a, a product that already has 10,000 connectors, create a few simple ones in the background that get people hooked from a marketing angle. And then if they want custom, we can either build them in that platform or they can find a partner. Uh, partners like you, Alex, partners like me, partners like uh, Mark, who can create integrations that suit their particular business workflow at a low cost and support it ongoing. Uh, all great points. And um, Mark actually has to get off in about 15 minutes. So I want to hear from Mark about integrations and then we'll jump into pricing where I definitely want to hear hear from Mark around uh, what he's seen uh, at scale with different uh, HubSpot builds. So Mark, any thoughts around what Alex and Scott have just mentioned? And I think you have something to say around uh, the different types of integrations and what's going on this year with regards to how many there are. Absolutely. So um, again, agreeing with both Alex B and, and Scott in terms of their points of um, these CRMs would be better off using a marketplace or, or integrating well with uh, with Zapier. When you look at HubSpot's um, popular apps from their, from their total ecosystem in 2018, Zapier was the number one, MailChimp was number two, Slack was three, WordPress was four, and down at number seven was Salesforce as a CRM. So even a company that has a CRM like HubSpot integrates well with a, a different CRM, one that's more customizable. And I like to say to my clients with Salesforce, anything's impossible. You just have anything's possible with Salesforce. You just have to build it. Um, so I think we are going to see more and more companies come out and. I personally believe that customers are okay with the fact that we can they could use Zapier to uh, connect to different services. However, I do understand from a marketing messaging point of view that not all of their target audience will be systems-led uh, people and automators like us who are quite comfortable setting up these processes. So I do see it being a slightly a difficult, cha a slight challenge for the, the, the SaaS platforms to, uh, to communicate that. Thank you so much, Mark. And that's a great segue into the pricing and the contracts and the models of these different CRMs. Backpedal a little bit to the Salesforce era. Uh, there could arguably be a little bit better of an ecosystem for them to build out this app marketplace. Whereas today, with the way venture capital works, and especially in Silicon Valley, if you're coming out of Silicon Valley, I was in Copper's offices, and I mean, they must be paying 100000 bucks a month per floor. They've got two floors 
stores right there in the financial district. So it's a situation where they're coming from a different era where you do not have the freedom, both from the investors push and from the consumers need to really take the time to build out that ecosystem that has made Salesforce so incredibly successful. The ecosystem that Scott mentioned around the app marketplace. Today, that's bred this white label environment where companies like Blender and Trey and Integree have created this white label scenario where they can go to SaaS companies and say, we'll power all of your integrations. You focus on product, you deal with what the customers need and put all your money and focus there. We will power your integrations. And Trey did get in with Copper early and it looks like they have formalized a partnership around that. Whether or not that's going to be good for them, that's to be determined. But that helps these really powerful CRMs like Copper be as cost effective as they are. So let's talk about pricing. Yeah, Alex, uh, you know Copper inside and out. What's going on with Copper? What are we looking at? Yeah, real quick to one of the points that you just mentioned, which I think is interesting, is talking about uh, using tools like Zapier. Really, Zapier was actually the first thing that uh, Copper got involved with even before Trey. But what we're kind of seeing here, like what you're saying versus going a white um, labeled solution like Trey, the issue with Zapier for a company like Copper is that it's for the consumer, it's for the end user. They, Zapier wants to make it very easy for the general consumer to jump in and build something. And the issue then, you get a lot of people setting up Zapier accounts, having no idea how to do integration or when they should be integrating. And then they try to make a new lead trigger an automation within you know, Copper, some something from Copper to Copper using Zapier. Then they reach out to Copper and say, hey, my Zapier integration is not working. So then there's Copper on their end. It makes total sense. They're like, we're getting all these support requests from Zapier for these these one two person companies, we can't spend our support resources supporting this you know this solution. This doesn't make any sense. So they started backpedaling and, and kind of pushing away from Zapier because they're like they're using up a lot of our resources. So what sucks is kind of like the thing that's good for the end user than consumer um, and and us as well as partners because we love using it at the core is not in their favor because their support resources get eaten up. Um, and then there we can just really quickly pivot to the pricing aspect. So copper, you're kind of in an area where you're going to be using the middle tier realistically. So there's a there's a professional tier, there's a business tier above it, and then there's just like a basic tier at the lowest end. And that's really a trial. They've been re- not removing more and more, but they've been changing the limitations. It used to be five users um, or more or sorry, after the five, fifth user, you'd have to upgrade to the professional tier. Now it's after the third and you get like one email template. It's very bare bones for what it gives you. And that's going to be starting around the, you know, the $24 per user per month tier. But realistically, there's not one client of ours on the lowest tier. Everyone is on the professional tier. Um, very few people are on the business tier, which is going to be around that like 119 and you have to pay annually for that 119 per user per month. And you're really not going to be using that tier unless you have to have like the integration with RingCentral, for example. So if you want that to be natively integrated in, uh, there's certain little things that they they block behind that business tier, understanding that there's some value there. But for most clients that we've worked with, you can really do everything because at it, it, the professional tier, it unlocks everything. So you're really going to be at that $64 per user per month tier. Or if you pay annually, it's going to be $49 per user per month paid annually. Or if you go with a partner, you're going to be anywhere around that range of uh, $55 to $60 per user per month if you go for a month-to-month with an annual subscription. So that's kind of where we're at pricing-wise with Copper. 
Awesome, awesome. Anything to add to that, Scott? I do think that there's a trend toward trying to get you to sign up annually yeah. and they offer um, typically 20% less than what it is month to month. And the reason for that is that uh, a lot of um, CRMs and even all SaaS businesses are valued based on their annual subscriptions. So a lot of people ask me, you know, why can't I get a monthly subscription? Why do I have to pay annually? Uh, and it's, you know, the CRM companies themselves uh, dictate that because their whole valuation and their ability to get capital is often defined by that. Um, they want to lock you in for a 12-month period. Um, you'll also find that almost all of the products out there have a middle tier and realistically the middle tier is really the only option. They do a lower tier. This is just pricing strategy, right? They do a lower tier to make it uh, you know, an entry level for some people but rarely will be selected, but it makes the middle tier look uh, cost-effective. And a higher tier, which is often ridiculously expensive, which again makes the middle tier look cost-effective for what you get. Um, and you know, copper's no different. Uh, most of the platforms out there are no different into how they they set up that pricing. Thank you so much, Scott. Great input. Now, Mark, you have to run here in a few minutes. So give any insight you would like to give around pricing and HubSpot and uh, what these people need to know and then sign off and we'll catch you next time. Sure. So um, as I think we mentioned this just before the, the recording started, but um, HubSpot's CRM is free, which sounds great. And it's a great way to get people to sign up. But you really don't get the benefits out of HubSpot until you start using the marketing hub and the sales hub. So if you want to start having automations through your sales process when you're running people through deal stages and they're, they're changing the different stages of the deal, triggering automations of that isn't possible with the free CRM. So you'll need to pay for, for the sales hub, which starts typically around $50 um, a month per user. Um, again, going back to the marketing side of things, if you want to have your uh, your CRM integrated with your marketing automation tool, which most companies do, you're, you're, you're looking at their professional tier, which starts around $800 a month. So really, we, we can start to see that you're looking at anywhere from $1,000 per month plus the onboarding fee to, to begin with. And then as your contacts grow and you, um, and, and you increase the amount of customers, which is, or sorry, contacts within your database, which is effectively what you want to try and be doing, you'll then be starting to pay more. So I just guess it would be um, a word of warning that uh, the free CRM, it is free. It has its uh, capabilities. It also has its limitations. If you want to use it with HubSpot's um, marketing automation and sales automation uh, products, then you can, but they come come with a cost. And I was recently in a, uh, a Techstars accelerator, and I believe it was eight out of ten companies went with the HubSpot starter, um, which is a ninety percent discount for for startups that are running through accelerators or through their key partners. However, all of these companies at the end of the year are going to be faced with a decision of whether they continue using HubSpot or do they completely change their CRM and marketing automation platform. And as we all know, that's never a nice uh, conversation and, and, and project to work through. It's, it's going from a year's worth of using one platform and changing it completely just because the pricing is going to go up so much. So um, a roundabout answer of saying that it's free, but just watch out for what you do have to pay for. And it's always worth having the conversation with them and arranging a demo just to really nail down what is free and what's included 
and, and what things are uh, additionally paid for. Thank you, Mark. And thank you very much for being a part of this show. We'll have you back on. We'll do a version two of this at some point. This has been so good. But again, to recap what Mark said, it is free for warning. It does get very expensive as soon as you start looking at other features. And the starter is 50 bucks a month, I believe, per user. Profesh- oh, no, mm-hmm. sorry, that is uh, 50 bucks. I think it includes one user. Uh, professional is $800 a month. It includes a few users. Enterprise level, $3,200 per month. So you can imagine where that goes. And that's not including the ramp up of contacts. So that is just a forewarning. We're not saying that HubSpot is the wrong choice. It all depends on what you're going to do. But just be forewarned if you are on that free version of HubSpot where it can go in terms of price. Any last words, Mark, before you jump off? No, I just want to say, sorry, I couldn't stay for longer. I think it's been a fantastic conversation and um, I can't wait to hear the end result. All right, buddy. Well, take care. Have a fun day in Phuket. I'm sure you got client calls and then um, there's probably a pool or a monkey or a drink or something. (laughs) Something like that. (laughs) Okay. Cheers, guys. Speak to you soon. Have a good one, Mike. Later. Take care. All right, guys, that's a great recap of pricing. Uh, anyone want to, I think you both have your hands up, so go ahead and jump in. I guess, Alex, anything you want to say around pricing? Yeah, so this morning I got the question of, okay, so you're saying that there are free CRMs, there are some cheaper ones, there's there's some of the more expensive ones. You know, why can't I just go for a free CRM now? Like, why don't I just sign up for HubSpot and use that for a year, especially if it's free, and then I can switch to something maybe like Copper in the future? And yeah, that definitely makes sense because as all of us, we were saying, we should really sign up for a CRM as, as quickly as possible because they're, they're so helpful to your business. But the thing that you want to take into consideration is how much time you spend actually learning how to use the CRM, the organizational aspect, and then all the activities that you're logging. So one of the issues is, yes, yeah, some of these CRMs, they let you export data. They let you export the people, the companies, the opportunities, the leads, the tasks. You can export that. Great. But the problem is you lose all the relational data, all the stuff that you're spending the time building into the CRM, the amount of like you spend more time putting information in the CRM, organizing and structuring it, logging phone calls, logging notes, making emails logged in there. And then if you're talking about, well, okay, years gone by, let's now switch to copper because we really want to, you know, spend the money now. We have the money now in our company. Well, you're going to lose all of these relational aspects. You're going to lose all of these these old activity logs. So like what, what you had mentioned, Scott, a lot of people in agency, they do repeat business. You're going to lose all of the data that you put in regarding the, the prior activity because you're exporting from one system and switching to another. So I really don't like the idea of, well, why don't we just go with a free solution short term? Because you're going to be wasting a lot of time. Why even log the phone calls? Why even log the notes in the free solution if you know you're going to be switching? Because you're going to lose it regardless. Great point. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alex. And yeah, Scott, uh, hand it off to you to, to follow up. Well, Alex said it really well. That's exactly what I wanted to say as well. And my only build on that is that um, you, know, you get what you pay for in all things in life, what I've found. Uh, and often going the free route to start with means that you're up for a significant migration cost later, retraining, redevelopment, uh, and you're going to lose a lot uh, when you do try to change over because there's a limit to what you can pull out of any given system and migrate. And often spending a little more upfront to get the uh, the right tool 
is actually a, a more cost effective and definitely a better uh, solution for the business. The, that's yeah, that is a great point. Um, we all have to be cognizant of the time that's spent and um, also just our overall emotions around the product, right? If it's something that makes our sales teams and our marketing teams frustrated, it doesn't matter how good it is or how cheap it is, it's not worth it. So uh, be cognizant of all those factors. Thanks a lot, Alex, for mentioning that. Now let's talk about setup and then we'll go into automations. And then we'll talk real quickly about the future of CRMs, which we did mention a little bit about. But um, these next two sections are very, very important. So Alex, uh, why don't you talk about the setup of a CRM and just making sure you have all those boxes checked? Yeah, I think it's really, really important before setting up a CRM to start building out some documentation and talking through the process. So, you know, what do you think that our sales pipeline should look like? So you're going to be creating stages within the pipeline. Um, one of the things that I like to start with is what is the qualifying aspect for you? So for some companies, it's that initial phone call. Like if you spoke to the person, you're considering them qualified. Other people, it's that initial meeting. Um, and, and some people, they have like a second meeting and that's considered qualified. So you're typically going to want to keep within the leads area, people who are not yet qualified. You're still maybe trying to have that 15 minute phone call to see if you can qualify them. So typically what we see is there will be some type of like meeting scheduled uh, stage within the opportunity pipeline and that's considered qualified. So you're not even able to convert that lead until you put that initial meeting date and time into, into the custom fields at the time of converting. So that really halts anyone within your business from being able to move them into the pipeline because your pipeline can get super messy if you don't know when you should actually be considered qualifying the person because then you don't really know, you know if, where they should be. So then it comes down to naming the, the stages. So the discussion has come up a lot around how should I name it? Should it be past tense, future tense? Should it be based on like a task? So an example that I have written here is something like meeting scheduled versus schedule meeting. So schedule meeting is more of an action. So if an opportunity lives in the stage of schedule meeting, that's like, okay, well, we have to schedule a meeting with them. That could really be more of a, a task. The stage should be meeting scheduled because that means when it's moved there, you could then even have an automation that just goes and schedules the meeting for you. So whereas if you say schedule meeting, you're never really going to be able to trigger an automation aside from an automation maybe reminding you, creating a task to say you need to schedule the meeting with them. It's not very useful. It's just more of like it's sitting in a space to be reminded. So there's a lot of thought that can actually go into the naming structure of each stage. And I think it's important to really discuss it, discuss it and talk about what automation should happen at each part of the process and then name the stages according to that. Great points, Alex. That's huge. And I've been in those meetings and that's, you know, where they just kind of throw up the standard naming yeah. convention that exists on some blog somewhere. And they're like, yeah, we're going to have opportunities and we're going to have leads and we're going to have qualification and, you know, they're going to be sold. Great. Let's go ahead with that. No, that's not the right way to do it. You mentioned a very good point. You want to be cognizant of your specific pipeline, name the stages accordingly, and that will help you and your sales team be on the same page with where everyone sits in that pipeline. Because there are reports, you have to imagine an actual CSV or an actual report coming out of the CRM where it does mention what stage everyone's at in the pipeline. And if you just have these general stages, it's not going to do you a whole lot of good. So I will mention real quick about mirroring pipeline stages. 
uh, with regards to your marketing automation. And we don't have to go into depth on this, but it's essentially making sure that if you do use a sales enablement tool like Outreach.io, Reply.io, PersistIQ, that you are mirroring the pipeline stages between the sales enablement tool and your CRM and just making sure that when someone exists in this stage in your sales enablement tool, that they are in the same stage in your CRM because a lot of your pushing through CRM pipeline stages happens automatically through cold outreach, through email outreach. Uh, They could click on that link. They could register for the demo without you ever speaking to them. So you have to make sure if that's happening in sales enablement that it's mirrored in your CRM and that when that salesperson shows up that day for that demo and they look at that person's contact that they're in the right stage in CRM. I'll just mention that really quickly. And let's go back to Scott for the importance of qualification process in CRM. Yeah, and it's really about asking the right questions because uh, a healthy sales process and a good sales strategy is more about asking the right questions than trying to tell somebody uh, how good their product or service is these days, right? Where consultative consultative sales, you know, sell more than the old school uh, talking about all the benefits and, and features, right? Um, so if you think about setting up your CRM, particularly as perhaps an agency or a service provider who we specialize in, think about, well, first of all, what are the questions we need to ask to make sure that this new lead is the right person to spend time and money to sell to. We want to reduce cost of sales, right, and increase conversion. So we only want to spend time and and money on the people that we know we can help. So what are those questions and how do we, um, what's the criteria of a good lead? And actually set them up as questions in your CRM that the salesperson asks in their initial call. And then when it moves into you know, further stages, like Alex mentioned, through the pipeline, um, you know, understand, think through what are the pieces of information we need to get this person from where they are now to where they need to be to make a sale. Um, so qualify first, what's the criteria, and then what do we need to take them on the journey? And set them up as questions and fields in the CRM kind of uh, dovetails into another point about the customization of fields and the ability to have MQLs and SQLs. Um, So we're talking to a a lot of startup founders and teams out there and startup could be one person, it could be 50 people, but you're at that stage where you've maybe not been as cognizant about the CRM build as you should have been. And that's why you're listening to the show because you're in that research process. Alex, I want to go to you real quick. You have some really good information around nurturing prospects. This is a huge aspect of the outreach business. So let's talk about nurturing a prospect and getting them into the CRM. Yeah, I mean, I I think a lot of just general sales, like you should be understanding why a prospect is maybe not interested. If that's price or if it's not the right time or it's a competitor, I think it's important to label that. So for example, if you're marking a lead or an opportunity as lost or abandoned, you should you know, mark them that way and potentially follow up with them in the future. You can even automate. So if you mark someone as lost and then you trigger it as not the right time, then why not have that trigger... Uh, an email sequence that could then send out to them, you know, three months from now, or at least create a task to tell you that it just wasn't the right time, maybe check back out. Um, And that's where maybe you can also use the abandoned aspect as well. 
that's where things are kind of up in the air where you can choose to be marking something as lost or abandoned. The way that we like to really do it is if you get a hard no from them saying we used a competitor or we're no longer interested um, because we're going with this or the other thing or you guys are too expensive, we'll typically mark it as lost and we'll kind of have some type of automation set up there. But then a, a softer thing, which is like maybe they're really interested, but then they just stop responding or they say, you know, it's just not the right time for us. We may mark them as abandoned and that's where we can trigger some other automations to make you follow up in the future because abandoned, they, they never told you no. So why don't you keep at it, you know, a few months from now to see if you can either get that yes or no. Um, and may as well have some of the automation do that for you because we all know that being in that maybe area can waste a lot of time. So those are the times that you should be using automation to take care of that instead of your actual you know, time and energy. And then the one other area that I want to speak to is the opportunity stage alerts. So essentially, how do you stay up to date with everything going on with these leads that you're, you're dealing with and working with? So Copper, for example, they have a function where you can have it automatically trigger a task that says if any opportunity is more than 14 days inactive, which we had spoken a little bit earlier about the inactive days aspect of Copper, which is great because at the top of it, you can say, hey, I haven't made a phone call to them. I haven't sent an email to them in 14 days. So natively, you can create it. So it will trigger the, the a task to say, hey, you need to follow up with them. You haven't reached out to them in 14 days, you know, and, and that's where you can kind of figure some of that out. The issue with it that we've run into is the native integration aspect of that. Um, it, it's across all pipelines. You can't specifically say only give me this inactive days reminder in the sales pipeline or the project management pipeline, it's an all or nothing. So the more that you implement copper into various areas within a company, you're not going to want to have these integrations, these automations set up that do a very blanket thing because now you're going to be working on hiring and you're going to be getting alerts because 14 days inactive and it just doesn't make any sense. So that's where you kind of need to go outside of it. And we've built a couple of solutions that have worked well for clients for example, using a custom field and having them in some kind of follow-up sequence. So saying we need to follow up with them quarterly or we need to follow up with them monthly or semi-weekly, um, you know, whatever you want it to kind of be. And then you can compare that to how many inactive days. So if you have someone set to, we need to keep in touch with them on a monthly basis, just switch the view to list view and compare monthly to how many inactive days. So if if you have it set to monthly and the inactive days is more than 30 days, then that's your trigger to know I need to follow up with them. So it's a little bit more active. You need to check into it to let you know, but it works quite well versus some of the more passive solutions because they work too broadly across the system. That was amazing. Alex, thank you so much, man. This is why I invited you guys onto the podcast. You guys are, are geniuses when it comes to CRM automation. So Scott, yeah, you've got some awesome things to say. Please go ahead. Well, yeah, Alex, that last one really resonated with me. And I think for the agencies that we serve, having some automation, whether it's even just creating a task uh, when you haven't interacted with someone for 30, 60, 90 days or whatever, you know, you think of that return client strategy generating most of your business, having some automation around making sure you touch uh, your uh, customer list every month or a couple of months uh, to see if there's anything you can help them with is going to drive immediate uh, revenue and with a low cost of sale. Uh, so probably the first automation you should look at. Um, but you know, Alex, I can't stress how important it is for anyone making a CRM buying decision um, that you need to sort of think about your sales process first and think about, well, you know, how do we want to treat new leads? What do we want to do when we qualify them? 
what happens when we win, lose, uh, or they are abandoned, because that's going to drive the automations. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily know what's possible. So if you start by just dot pointing out what you want your CRM to do, how you want your customers to feel, to think, to be interacted with, and then you go to the expert. Um, I mean, guys like Alex uh, and myself, we can literally make copper CRM brew a coffee on an internet-connected coffee machine 15 minutes before a sales call. You, you can do anything, right? Um, you can literally do it. So, you know, your imagination is almost the limit in this sort of stuff. Um, but you've got to start with, well, what is actually going to create the customer experience that I want? And if you start there, the automations will come. Um, and yeah, other than that account management one, yeah, there's plenty that I love, like interacting and, and triggering a new project in your project management system because the customer experience doesn't end at yeah. sales, right? Once the customer's sold, the team experience is just as important and how they're then um, initiating a project and how you're onboarding a new customer. All of those sort of automations are super critical um, to the success of your business. Thank you, Scott. Yeah, <laughs> great words there. So when you're looking at a CRM, when you're looking at building this entire system, including your CRM, you have to be aware of what's going to happen when. I like your point about the lost and the actual closed one, closed lost scenario where, you know, I do like to start at the very end and say, okay, well, customers are going to be interested all the way through. You know, if we had a priority of automations, we would start at where the customer starts to lose interest. And this is where Churn Zero and other companies that, that deal with the anti-churn aspects and the anti-churn algorithms of the CRM where, where they really uh, gain traction is because there's a lot of money kind of pushed aside. Um, so I like to start there and I like to look at automations from the end of the pipeline forward and build out those anti-churn sequences first. So with regards to automation, the only thing I'll say is just make sure you are looking at the customer's journey, focusing on where they need to receive either a call touch point or an email touch point in that entire journey and deal with the most important critical aspects of the journey first. Make sure those are accounted for. Look to a third party. If you're on a CRM, obviously you need a messaging platform. So look to a sales enablement platform for the top of the funnel, but you're going to need a triggered messaging service. Make sure that entire system is customer focused so that the customer journey is better because of your automated systems and not just convoluted and just trying to fill holes. So I hope that makes sense. Anything else to say about automation before we move on to the future CRMs? I think you've both said it as best as anyone could. All right, guys. Well, let's wrap this up. This has been a terrific discussion. So let's talk real quickly about uh, any news, any highlights, anything that's going on with regards to the two CRMs in question HubSpot and Copper. And I know we lost Mark, so we'll lose a little bit of the insider information around HubSpot. But let's talk real quickly about Copper. So Alec, this has been top of mind for you with regards to what's going on with Copper. Yeah. I'll say what I have to say, but um, go ahead and mention anything you have to say about where Copper's at and what the future looks like. Yeah, I mean, I think looking kind of taking a step back and seeing like Salesforce, Salesforce and where they got, like they realized enterprise is where serious money is. So they kind of pulled a lot of their resources in the small, demeaning 
medium business space and they focus everything with an enterprise. If you sell one enterprise client, that's equivalent to selling, you know, 10, 100, even a thousand small businesses in some regard. So it makes sense why they made that move and then why companies like HubSpot and Copper and Pipedrive could come in and, and find, they, they essentially take care of this market segment. But it's the way that SaaS software works in general. It's once you get that small to medium business, you want to start moving upstream because that's where the serious money is. If you build a beautiful, incredible platform and you have investors, they're going to want you to keep moving up market to make more money. So I think we've been seeing a little bit of pressure from investors on copper to be moving mid-market and a little bit higher and kind of playing around in that enterprise space. But I think they they realized as they started moving there that they do not want to lose their roots. And it seems like they're taking a little bit of a step back, in, at least from what we've been able to see. And I know a little bit of a worry with some of the copper partners out there was that copper would be moving up market a little bit too quickly. I think there's still a lot of things that are missing in it uh, core that I don't even think really would be a good fit in an enterprise company. So I think their area where they're really focusing on is between that, uh, you know, 10 and 300, 200 user area. So that's definitely small business, kind of medium business, depending on what you want to look at it. Um, But I think they really need to stay in that place for a bit. And in the future, um, you know, while they're a private company and doing what they're doing, getting venture backing, I think in the future, future, they could kind of move more toward enterprise. And I and I really hope at the very least that they focus more um, on the small business space. And speaking to John Lee, actually recorded a podcast with them recently. He specifically mentioned, I was like, are you guys planning at any time to get out of the small business? And he's like, at a core, you know, we're a small business. I've always worked in small businesses. I love small businesses. We're not looking to get out of that space anytime soon. Um, at all, actually. We want our solution to always work in small business. And I think the biggest mistake that Salesforce did was they got out of small business and now they're fighting to try to get back into small business because some of the smallest companies, Airtable, for example, they were a small business uh, three years ago, four years ago, and now they're a, a unicorn. So companies start as small businesses. They don't necessarily change the CRM as everything we're talking about. You don't jump onto a CRM to then change it in a year or two you stick with the CRM that you're using for the most part. So I think Salesforce is saying, hey, we need to pay more attention to these small to medium businesses because they will eventually be our enterprise businesses in the future. Great points. And uh, for those of you listening, John Lee is the CEO founder of ProsperWorks slash Copper. So I would say that there was a little bit of mismatch between marketing and product. And now they're in a situation where I think they need to be a little bit more in line on the product and marketing side of things and make sure they are very transparent on where the product is going and not try to drag SMBs with them upstream. If that's where they're going, I don't know. Or vice versa, try to pretend on the sales and the product side that they are, you know, catering to their big clients with with intention to stay SMB. I don't think either of those would be good. And I know John Lee's a brilliant guy, and he's got to figure it figured out. No, I think I think I think you bring up a good point with that because one of the scenarios that I think they ran into a little bit of trouble and they're kind of backpedaling and 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 cleaning things up a little bit now is yes, they had some clients of theirs that were growing. So yeah, they were a small business and maybe had a hundred employees and now or a hundred people using copper and now they've turned into three, four, five hundred seats. And of course your largest clients, you're going to bend over backwards for them and build some integrations and features for them. So I think even the the add-ons uh, functionality that they built 
it, it was kind of rushed and then it, it was kind of, I don't want to say abandoned, but it was definitely built specifically for some of their enterprise users or not enterprise because it's not that large, but their larger users, which really doesn't help the small to medium businesses all that much. So like I wanted to dive into it and learn a little bit more on how to build custom integrations with their new API kind of platform for these embedded apps. But from what I learned, there wasn't too, too much documentation. And really, they built this to then hand it off to some of their larger clients that will run with it. They have multiple developers internally, and they just needed to build that solution because that was like the thing that was, hey, we need the solution integrated or we have to switch over to Salesforce. Like we don't even have a choice. So Copper, of course, they're like, hey, we're going to lose this client unless we build this. Of course, they're going to build it. But that was also, that's not in the best use for the small businesses. So I think you start seeing the struggles and I think they're going through the struggles and they're, they're learning from it substantially. You know, should we be building the features that a few of our clients need because they're large? Or does that mean that we're starting to push upstream too quickly when we're not yet ready? Yeah, and I think it, it's a tough decision. I, I don't know the right, what the right solution is, right? Like, I, I think they, they are definitely better fit to answer that you know, question of what they should be doing. But I think they did run into some difficulties with it along the way. Thanks for that. Anything to say, Scott, or or should we conclude? Uh, look, just quickly, I don't think uh, any business in history is, is nailed enterprise and small business at the same time. Uh, they're just not congruent models. Different features, totally different approach to marketing, completely different implementation models. Um, SAP, Salesforce, Microsoft, been trying to go back mm. from enterprise into the volume play of small business for years and years and years and never been successful. Their cost base is just too big to make it even worth it. Um, and they just don't resonate with a small, dynamic, passionate founder like they do the numbers-focused uh operations manager in corporate, right? They're just, when I talk about hyper-specialization and targeting your who the, as the future of branding and marketing, less the why and the what and the how, you just can't do both. Um, and they end up, you know, they've got to have separate products. Mm. So I don't think it's, uh, and I think that Copper have tried to, you know, let's go enterprise. That's actually where the big money is. Uh, and they've probably tried to do it too quickly, potentially. And the fact is that this is a 10-year play mm. to transition, not a three-month process to transition, if that's where you want to go. I think that enterprise, take Salesforce as an example, convoluted, poor user experience because they have to have so many mm. features. Copper's strength is simplicity. It's the Google of CRM. It's easy to use. It's got a high adoption rate. Um, anyone can get in there and start playing with it. And that's not congruent with an enterprise model unless you're smarter than me and can come up with a way of doing it, which you know, that's not, not hard. I'm not a smart guy. Um, uh, on that front, I do think that copper are a step up from your freelance one or two man business or one or two person business company. And I do think that mid-market is a huge gap that people just skip yeah. right over. The needs of a 20 or 30 person uh, up to 200 to 300 person agency are different from a small business and different from an enterprise. And they sit a little bit in both camps. Uh, and that's a space which has lots of money. They're making profit. They can spend on these things. They have operations managers and, and a middle management layer that's responsible for reporting, responsible for creating efficiencies and get stacks of value out of the sort of stuff that copper provides over a smaller package. 
So, you know, if, if John Lee's uh, hearing this now, I would say, mate, your strategy is mid-market um, without a shadow of a doubt. Um, and I'm sure that there are a few others like Zendesk who are sort of targeting that as well. And you'll see three tiers. You'll see your pipe drives, your capsules, um, your HubSpot freeze for the lower end, your Salesforce, your Microsoft at the upper end, uh, and this mid-market play. Um, that's where I see the You ground. nailed it. Totally agree. 100%. Yeah, you guys, thank you so much. I mean, that was a perfect place to end, Scott. Great conclusion. Alex, you know, you mentioned a very, very good point about Copper's situation and what's going on. And, you know, I think everybody should take a look at both HubSpot and Copper. Be wary of everything that we talked about with regards to the startup plans on HubSpot. Be cognizant of everything that's going to happen with your sales stages, the integration aspect of it. Be clear with your marketing and your sales team, what the strategy is and where you're going with your entire stack before you even start this process. And I think you'll be okay. Thank you guys. I mean, anything else you want to say before we, before we sign off and and chop this one up? Thanks, Alex. Really appreciate the discussion. It was, uh, you know, it was fantastic to talk about this sort of stuff and hopefully we've helped a few people make uh, smarter buying decisions when it comes to completely CRM. agree and and yeah like this was definitely a little bit long for for a podcast or whatever you necessarily want to call it but I think people who are thinking about going with something like a CRM and should they be using Copper or HubSpot or whatever other solution is out there you know investing a couple hours into listening to the positives and negatives I feel like that's that's really not a lot of time. Um, I I feel like people should listen to this and they will get a lot of value from it. So I'm definitely excited. I love talking to you guys as well. It's it's a a lot of fun. So definitely keep in touch and let's do this more. Definitely. There's a version two in the future. And that reminds me, I do want to do a quick uh, CTA. So Scott, let's start with you. Where can they find you? How can they get a hold of you? Yeah, thanks, Alex. Uh, ScaleMyEmpire.com. We've got a great lead magnet on there that'll... uh, help you determine you know, how to optimize your business uh, for profit using technology. Uh, or you can find me on LinkedIn, uh, LinkedIn slash scott.gallatly. Uh, lots of informative uh, posts on there on these sort of topics. And uh, you've got an avenue there to book me in for a call. Yes. And Alex Bass, what about you? Yeah, I have a few different social media outlets. Uh, you could find me Alex H. Bass on most of them. Uh, but to be honest, I don't go on them too often. I am definitely more of an auditory person. I love podcasts and talking and listening to them. So I would say if you want to get in touch, uh, you can find my podcast called Analysis Paralysis at aparalysis.com. And you can reach out to me at alex at aparalysis.com as well. Uh, there's my company, cyberbytesinc.com, but I'm more doing this type of stuff for the the analysis paralysis stuff. I'm, I love talking about CRM, love talking about efficiency and automation. So this is so up my alley. Really appreciate it again. Thank you both for staying on for the entire one hour and 50 minutes. I look forward to getting this one out there. Great. 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 See ya. Cheers. 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 Cheers.